remain standing as we read God's word from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joke which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word written to us so we may know you, and by knowing you, we may have eternal life in Christ. By your spirit, open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts and our minds so that we may receive and live out your word. Be with Andrew as he brings your word to us and humble us to let your spirit convict, comfort, and compel us. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. Picking up here in Ephesians, we have a section that really runs from 417 all the way down to 520, 21, really kind of goes through chapter 6 to maybe 610. you know, we have so many of these divisions, chapters, verses. It's hard to, hard to know how to divide this. Um, I'm not even sure that we got it right today, so we're overlapping a little bit with last week, all of that. Uh, but, but Paul is speaking to us about the, the walk. Walk worthy of your calling. Do not walk as the Gentiles do. Do not, or be sure to walk in love as imitators of God. Rabbi Akiva, first century Jewish rabbi, was walking one night. He was thinking about his day of, of study in the Torah, and um, he completely missed his turn. Uh, into his home in Capernaum and ended up right outside of a Roman military garrison where he was startled out of his reverie uh, with a soldier shouting to him, Who are you and why are you here? The rabbi was sort of taken back and uh, he, he looked up and he, and he said, Excuse me? And the, the soldier came back to him and said, I said, who are you and why are you here? Rabbi Akiva looked at the soldier and he said, how much are you paid to ask me these questions? And the soldier said, well, I get two drachmas a week. Uh, Rabbi Akiva said, I will double your pay if you come to my house and you ask me those two questions Every single day. You see, what what the rabbi knew was that there, there is something in those questions. Who are you 
and why are you here that gets to the core of who we are as individuals, that gets to the core of, of what we are to do in our life. If we can answer those questions, uh, we, we have moved towards a kernel uh, of truth that will propel us to a good and, and a flourishing life. If we struggle with those questions or if we get the answers wrong, uh, then we find ourselves uh, sort of uh, skittering around without much of a direction. And you can tell as we read these verses that Paul very much has these two questions in mind. Just look at the first two verses of our text today uh, where Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Who are you? Beloved children, why are you here? To imitate God. Uh, look at verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Who, who are you? You are, are the beloved blood-bought bride uh, of Jesus he gave himself up for you, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice. Who are you? And why are you here? You're to walk in love. What kind of love? The same kind of love which Christ has given to us. We want to walk through this text, which is incredibly, incredibly relevant to our world today. Uh, and, and to see if we can, through this lens, who are you and why are you here, uh, begin to move closer to the heart of the Lord. Three stops this morning, the beloved, the bogus, uh, and finally, the but. Uh, I think you will understand as we go. The beloved, I've already really touched on it. Uh, we talked about this a little bit. You know, Paul, throughout this, this book, is seeking to lay down the, the basis, the foundation for what it means to, believe, to be a, a believer, to walk with Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, to live out a Christian life, to imitate God, to walk in love, uh, as he talks about here. But here he is picking up on two themes that he has already developed in the course of the book. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Where have we heard that before? Well, we heard that back in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. He predestined us for adoption uh, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And this has been a major theme throughout the, the book of Ephesians, namely that we are his children. We, we are chosen not because of anything that uh, we have done, not because of anything that he even foresaw that we were done, but we were chosen in love. It is a free affection. 
uh, that comes from the heart of God himself that has settled itself on us and we are his beloved children. You know, Paul wants us to be grounded in this fact. You cannot know why you are here until you have answered the previous question of who you are. And Paul is helping us to understand that who we are uh, comes out of the heart of God. Who we are flows from the one who for the, before the foundations of the world you know, looked forward and said, I am going to set my affections on this people. Do you, do you know the belovedness uh, of yourself. We, we need to take a verse like Ephesians 5, 1 and, you know, post it on your mirror, put it on your phone. I, I'm, you know, you find a way to adhere this uh, to your heart and your mind and your life uh, that, that you are a beloved child of God if you have surrendered your heart to Him and, and if you are resonating with this. This is who you are. And, and he goes even further and he says, then you are uh, to walk in love as Christ has loved us. A and he has given himself to us. Again, he's picking up these themes going back to chapter 1, verse 7. There we see that we have redemption through the shedding of Christ's blood. So we have this Trinitarian formula that Paul's been working at with throughout Ephesians, the Father, beloved children of the Father, redeemed by the Son, redeemed through His blood. Here we have the image, the, the language of sacrifice, you know, a fragrant offering. Some of the older translations say a sweet-smelling savor. Maybe you saw the, the, the moment of meditation just reflecting on the sweetness of, of who God is. And this is who Christ is for the believer. He is the one who has given himself. He has interceded, interposed. Uh, he has put himself in between the wrath of God, which we saw in verse 6 here of this passage. He, he's talking about uncleanness. He's talking about impurity, all of these different things. And he says, because of this, the wrath of God is coming on the children of disobedience. Wrath is not just sort of got, you know, a capricious emotion that God has. You know, wrath is, is his settled, just judgment uh, against sin, you know, against rebellion. Uh, it's, you know, we, we think of anger oftentimes just as this emotion that comes over us, or, or maybe you've been on the receiving end of that in your household or at work or whatever, something happens and there's just this flare-up. That's, that's not what Paul is talking about. He's saying there, there is an order in this world, and, and there is justice in this world, which is good news, hallelujah. Uh, there is justice in this world, and, and when we walk outside of we walk outside of the way that God has created this world. There is punishment then that stands against that rebellion. 
that we call sin. You know, we call that rebellion sin. And, and there's a punishment that stands against it. It's completely just. It's not capricious. But it is very real. I mean, this is why Jesus was in the garden and he was saying, Father, you know, if there is any way, let this cup pass from me. Because he knew that it was the cup of God's wrath. Uh, it was his just settled disposition uh, towards rebellion, towards sin. And what this passage is telling us is that Jesus willingly took the cup. Jesus willingly poured himself out as a fragrant offering. Jesus willingly interposed himself in between us and God's wrath. And what the text is saying is this is the kind of love that you are to walk in. So, so if we were to sum that up, like what would we say? We would say, you know, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. Walk in love as Christ has loved us and poured himself out for us, a fragrant offering, you know, a sacrifice uh, to God. We would say this is a, uh, certainly a selfless love. Uh, this is a love that is sacrificial. This is a love uh, that doesn't uh, demand that you meet my needs before I decide to love you. Uh, this is a love that is sweet and is beautiful. That, that's what this love is. It's pure. It sanctifies. Paul's going to go back to this in, later on in Ephesians chapter 5 when he talks about the love of a husband for a wife. Um, and he says, you know, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing with the word. This is a love that when people experience it it, it, it makes them shine. It makes them glow. This is the beauty of what Christ has given his church. And I, and I do hope your heart resonates with that. I, I hope that you experience uh, not just sort of the, uh, the, the, the abstract truth of it, but the sweetness of it. You know, I can tell you, this is Jonathan Edwards' illustration, I can tell you that honey is sweet. But when you taste and you see the sweetness of honey, that's a whole different thing. Uh, and that's what I think Paul continues to come back to these themes. He weaves them in because he wants us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Secondly, there is the bogus. It's very interesting in this passage, you know, we began in, in 425 and we started looking at all of the ways that we are to walk, we're to walk in truth, we're to walk in honesty, we're not to steal, we're not to walk in anger, uh, we're to walk with a speech that is purified. We looked at all of these things uh, last week. Uh, and then he interjects this you know, sort of reaffirmation of, of who we are, the standing in, in 5, 1, and 2. And then he comes immediately to sexual immorality. 
and I say immediately because the, the translation doesn't really capture the Greek the way that the Greek is. The translation is fine. Uh, you know, it says in verse 3, it says, uh, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. In the Greek, it, it ends talking about the, the love of Christ, the sacrifice that he was, and then it goes right into porneia. You know, sexual immorality, fornication is the old word there. It's as if Paul is captured, he's, he's captivated by the beauty of the love of Christ and, and the ugliness, the absolute foulness, the opposite of what love is, is hitting him in the face. Uh, the, what Paul is talking about here with regards to sexual immorality, uh, impurity, with regards to filthy talk, uh, silliness, coarse, crude, you know, what Paul is saying is this is the opposite of, of how you are to walk. Now, again, Ephesus was filled with this. The Greco-Roman world was filled with uh, sexual deviation, sexual imagery, all of these different things. You know, phallic symbols, you had it in the worship, uh, Artemis, the, the temple there, you had prostitution, all of that going on, you know, right in the public square. Sometimes I, I talk to people and, and we feel it and, and it's enormous in our culture and in our society as well and the internet has made it very different and all of those different things, but there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> and and it, was, it was bad in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, pederasty, abuse, rape, everything that you can imagine sanctioned. Uh, it, it wasn't just even that this was a post-Christian era in Ephesus. This was good. This was okay. These things were considered just and right uh, for those who were in positions of power, that's fine. You can do what you have to do. But Paul says this is the opposite. This is the opposite of what God has uh, demonstrated to us in loving us and making us his bride. This is opposite for the reasons that he has given us, sexuality and how we are to walk in it. It's just so ugly. Instead of giving, it takes. Instead of purifying, it corrupts. You know, instead of being committed and lifelong the way that God is committed and lifelong to us, it plays the field and is fickle. Uh, what, what Paul can, can hardly imagine is the stench. You know, where on the one hand, you know, the love of Christ is a, is a sweet-smelling fragrant offering. You know, what, what the Greco-Roman world, what our world is offering, you know, with regards to sexuality, it, it, it stinks. Uh, and, and it is not on par with the heart of the Lord. So what is it then, you know, as we think about what Paul is saying here, and I, I think the words are fairly clear. I mean, they're, they're well translated. Uh, sexual immorality translates the word porneia. Uh, porneia is often translated as fornication. It, it has to do with sexual acts. 
uh, that are outside of, of God's intention for sexual acts. Impurity moves us into the world of the mind and the heart. We begin to think about that. Uh, so it's not necessarily the physical act outside of it, but what, what goes on inside. Uh, then you have in verse 4, you have uh, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. These are the, the locker room conversations that were so much in the news, uh, you know, eight years ago or so. Uh, we're thinking about those things, and sometimes it's, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod, but God says no. Uh, that's not the way it is. It, it's the stuff that we see on our televisions. It's the stuff that we see on our, uh, on our computer screens. It's the memes that we send around. It's the conversations that we have at school. All of these things that, that make light of God's intention for our sexuality, that make light of the beauty that God has given us. Maybe it's good to remind ourselves at, at this point uh, what it is that God in, intends with regards to our sexuality. You know, with regards to our sexuality, what we would say as we read the scriptures, and, and we always want to listen to the scriptures. We don't want to listen to our culture. We don't want to listen to, um, you know, however wise somebody might be. We have to be able to say this is what the word of the Lord says with regards to our sexuality. Sexuality is for marriage. And we then need to say, okay, what is marriage, especially today? We need to ask that question. Here's how one person puts it which uh, very much describes the position of, of this church as we read the scriptures of our denomination. Marriage is a lifelong, one-flesh covenantal union between two sexually different persons, a male and a female from different families, united with the purpose of telling God's story of faithfulness and creativity. Uh, let me read that again, just in case you missed it. You know, marriage uh, is a lifelong, one-flesh covenantal union between two sexually different persons, a male and a female from different families, united with the purpose of telling God's story of faithfulness and creativity. Any sexual activity that takes place outside of that it is outside of God's intention for how he created the world. We go back to Genesis 1 and 2. We, we read all of these things, male and female. He created them, all of that. And I know the culture is telling all kinds of different stories. I know that there is movements both inside the church and outside the church to want to redefine what I have said, what, to redefine what, what Scripture is is telling us with regards to marriage, with regards to sexuality. But what, what God is saying, what Paul is saying here in this passage is it stinks. It, it's not the sweet-smelling fragrance of a God who loves us. It's not the sweet-smelling fragrance of, of committed love, of lifelong sacrifice. It's not the, the sweet-smelling fragrance uh, of, of, of a husband who loves a bride and gives himself up for her in order to purify her, in order to present her as holy before the Lord. That's what Jesus is doing for his church. 
And, and what Paul says is, love that. Uh, may that be part of your walk. Now, I, I know that it is difficult. Remember, we said last week, we said when Paul is talking to the Ephesian church, he is assuming that people are struggling. We said that, you know, where Paul said, let him who steals, steal no longer. It's kind of a weird thing. You know, I know some of you are thieves out here. You know, stop stealing. Uh, Paul, Paul is not unaware of the influence of culture. Uh, and, and Paul knows that in Ephesus, in the Greco-Roman world, this is really difficult. You cannot get away from it. You cannot, you know, get away from the ideology that this is okay. You cannot get away from the images, the phallic symbols, everything that was there in the Greco-Roman culture. You cannot get away from it. And Paul knows that we struggle as well. You know, God knows that we struggle in this area. We struggle with the accessibility, the anonymity, the affordability of pornography. Uh, there, there was in 2013, there was a, uh, an attempt to study the effects of pornography on, uh, on young men. And they had to scrap the study because they could not find enough 20-year-old men who had not been exposed to pornography to run a control group. That is the pervasiveness that is here. And I know it's in the church. I talked to some of you. We struggle with these things. Uh, I, I know that that is true. I'm thinking of all the young people here and uh, the, the, the ways in which that is going to come into your world. It's, it's going to be exposed to your hearts. Paul says, it's not the beautiful. You know, the beautiful is, as God intended it, this lifelong commitment to marriage. And if you nourish these things in your mind and in your heart, uh, it's going to be difficult, and it's not just men. Uh, you know, we, I, I know folks that, that run groups on college campuses for women struggling with pornography. It used to be when, when I was talking about these things 20 years ago that it was predominantly men. That's not the case anymore. Uh, and, and so we have to realize that, that this is a part of our world. We have to realize that that hookups, we have to realize uh, that sexuality that is not just one male, one female in the context of marriage is, is promoted and celebrated, you know, in our television shows, all of these things. Paul says, it's not beautiful. Don't walk this way. You know, find the beautiful, find the good, be an imitator of God. You know, love one another as, as God in Christ has loved us and given himself up a fragrant offering. It's really interesting. Maybe you picked up this in, in verses 3 and verse 6. Uh, he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Uh, and then verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, so he repeats the categories again, impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, on the one hand, he's talking about where is your 
heart? Have you been redeemed? Has, you know, the, the new man come upon you, the old been put off, back to 4, 17 to 24? But, but it's interesting that he brings in covetousness here. Now, there, there are two possibilities for this. You know, one, it, it is just the straight word for covetous, for, for greed. Sometimes it, it's translated greed in, in, some, um, in some translations. Some have suggested that he is only talking about a greed in a, in a sexual context because of, you know, porneia and impurity and all of these different things. Um, it's possible. I mean, that's certainly part of it, right? Uh, there, is, there are these desires that says, I want. You know, there is an objectification of, uh, of a person or of an idea that we, we, we desire and we want to have. But there is also a connection, isn't there? Uh, you know, when we think about money and sex, uh, th- there, is, there is a root desire uh, that says, I, I want this thing that I think is going to make me happy. You know, and, and at, at the root, so much of modern uh, humanity would answer happiness by either one of those two things. You know, money or sex. You look at our politics. You know, uh, some in our, in our world say you can, uh, you know, you can do whatever you want with my money or, or we should be generous with our money, but, but keep your hands off my sexuality and my body. And, and, and we have other folks in our culture that say, well, we can't, you, you know, we, we, uh, we need to protect and we need to watch our sexuality but you keep your hands off my wallet. You know, there, there's just this undercurrent in, in our culture that wants to define itself by, by one of these two things. And Paul, Paul's like, I know. I, I know. It's there in the Greco-Roman world as well. I, I know, you know, that, that impurity and covetousness, they, they go together. And, and Paul says, it's not the beautiful. It's not what it means to be beloved. What it means to be beloved is that you are brought in through nothing of your own, but through the sacrifice of Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grass, but made himself nothing. You know, he emptied himself. He gave himself for us. It's a tall order. Uh, and Paul knows it's a tall order. This whole thing, you know, he keeps with this, this contrast, you know, beginning in chapter 4. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, you know, therefore, uh, this is not the way you learned Christ. You, you need to walk as the, uh, not as the Gentiles walk. And he is going to go on later on in this section to say you need to walk as children of the light. Uh, there's this contrast, and, and this is where we get the but. But sexual immorality and impurity and covetous must not even be named among you. You know, there, there is, that just seems extreme, doesn't it? Like, how do we live like that? It, it's not even to be named among us. Do you remember our baptism vow? Uh, 
All who are baptized in the name of Christ do renounce and uh, by their baptism are bound to fight. You're bound to fight against the devil, the world, and the flesh. J.C. Ryle, bishop in the 19th century, says this, True Christianity, mind that word, true, let there be no mistake about my meaning. There is a vast quantity of religion current in the world which is not true, which is not genuine Christianity. Uh, it passes the muster. It satisfies sleepy consciences. But, he says, it is not good money. Uh, it's not a good investment. There are thousands of men and women who go to churches and chapels every Sunday, and they call themselves Christians. Their names are in the baptismal register. They are reckoned Christians while they're lived. They're married with a Christian marriage service. They are buried as Christians when they die. But you never see any fight about their religion, of spiritual strife and exertion and conflict and self-denial and watching and warring, they know literally nothing at all. Such Christianity may satisfy a man and may satisfy those who say anything against it, but it is certainly not the Christianity of the Bible. It is not the religion which the Lord Jesus founded and his, his apostles preached. True Christianity says Ryle, is a fight. And Paul knows that. So every single one of these things that he's been talking about, he's been talking about honesty, he's been talking about anger, he's been talking about working with industry, he's been talking uh, about sharing your goods with what you have, being generous. He's talking about sexual purity and he's saying, if it's beautiful, you have to fight for it. If it's beautiful, it's worth the fight. And we know that because our Savior said so. When he looked at us in the garden, when he looked at the path that his father had laid out, he said, Father, is there any other way? And, and he sweat the great drops of blood, and he knew in his heart he had to fight, and he had to die. And he comes to us and he says, you're going to need to take up your cross daily to walk with me. Appreciated just some thoughts by Jackie Hill Perry at the end of her book, Good Girl. Good God, gay girl. I always get that wrong. Uh, and that's bad to transpose that. Um, but uh, at the end of that, she, she talks about she talks about the, the ongoing nature of crucifixion. You know, crucifixion, you didn't just die like that. You know, it, it was a drawn-out affair, and you died slowly. And Jesus says, that's what it's going to feel like sometimes, daily, as you fight. Because you are taking up your cross daily. We are fighting for our loves. Like, what do you love? That is the heart question. That is the kernel. What do you love? Who are you? Are you a beloved child? Do you love God above all? Do you love his word? Do you love his way? Or do you love the adulation that you get from other people. Do you love success? Do you love comfort? Do you love security? What do you love? We have to fight for that. 
You know, we have to fight for what goes on in our minds. You know, it, it's so easy to walk into a grocery store. It's so easy to turn on our computers. It's so easy for all of these things and, and just to give in and not fight. But we have, to, we have to fight for what plays in the theater of our minds. Parents, you have to fight for what goes on in your homes. You know, what are you going to allow through the various devices you know, who is going to entertain you and your family? Are you going to fight for these things? We have to fight ideologically. Some of us think that's where we start. We, we don't start ideologically. We start with our heart. We start with our own repentance. We start with our own fight. But we do have to fight ideologically. There is so much that is rebellious and putrid and ugly against the beauty that God has given us. And, and we need to stand up for it, even if it costs us something, because it will. You know, when we fight for what we love, it will cost us something. You can expect that. You can count on it. But it's okay, because there is a greater love. God loves you more than you can possibly ask or imagine. And it's okay because God has given us to one another. And, and we know that we, we stumble. We know that we are broken. We, we know, like Paul, that there are people among us who are thieving. There are people who can't tell the truth. There are people who are struggling with anger. There are people who are struggling with sexual addiction right now. We know those things. But we come together and we say, let's go find some water. Let's go find a fountain in this dry and thirsty land. Let's go find the truths of the gospel in order to bathe ourselves in it, to imbibe it, so that we can go out and we can continue the fight. I think what Paul wants us to move back to, and again, he's just got these two questions in his mind. Who are you? And why are you here? You are the beloved of God. He has given you sweetness beyond sweetness. Don't settle for sludge. Don't settle for that which will not satisfy, the prophet says in Isaiah 55. But eat what he offers, rich food. It's beautiful and it's full. Who are you? You're the beloved of Christ. Why are you here? You're to walk in love. This kind of love. The love that Christ gives to us. The, light, the love that he has talked about in the scriptures. And we're to do it for his glory because we are his bride. We are his body. We are the church that we hold what the world wants. You know, everybody's trying to answer these questions. You know, through money, through sex, all of these things. And we say, it's Christ. And it's his finished work. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for just the, the way that it comes into our lives. We, we know that it is difficult. And uh, we, we know that, that walking after you comes with challenge, comes with um, sacrifice, comes with death. But we also know that what comes before that is life. What comes before that is the purest love 
that we will ever know and experience. And so, Lord, we pray as a community that you would help us, that you would strengthen us, that you would make us to be the people that you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.